Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Monday morning draft recap edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and I'm joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. I've recovered from the draft and uh, ready to roll. And uh, someone who just went through their first draft process with us, at least, uh, Ellis Williams joining us. Ellis, how are you doing? How are you recovering? Yeah, man, it was a whirlwind, and for the whole virtual experience, uh, like everyone else, it was it was quite the time, but uh, chill Sunday, and now here we are to chat, so looking forward to it. Yeah, and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that virtual experience at the end, because it was definitely a, a unique a unique weekend for sure, but let's talk about the Browns draft, and uh, you know, if you missed it, on Saturday morning, we put out a, kind of a special pod, and we went through uh, the rounds two and three. We had a pot on Friday morning going through round one. So if, if you really want deeper dives on, on those early players, uh, some of whom we'll talk about here too, I'm sure, uh, go, go and check those out in the feed. But here's how we're going to go through this. We're going to have – yeah, I'm just going to ask you guys, like, let's start off. Well, who was your favorite player that the Browns drafted? Mary Kay, when, when you look at this draft, who was your favorite? You know, I'm going to go with the easy and obvious one. I'm going to talk about Jedrick Wills. You know, they, they were lucky to really get the guy that they wanted. I was so surprised that three offensive tackles were right there for the taking when their number came up at number 10. And they got the one that they really wanted. And I know we've talked about this, and it would be easy to say, oh, well, everybody says that. But I really, truly, 100% believe that that is the guy they wanted. He's played uh, in the SEC. I think that was important. Uh, we obviously saw that they like SEC guys. Uh, that's a tendency for Andrew Barry. Uh, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, that he's played at a high level. He's played at Alabama. He's coached by uh, Nick Saban and, and good guys there at Alabama. And he's played against some of, you know, the, the best defensive players uh, in college football. And I, I think that's important. Uh, a little concerned about the fact that, yes, I do think he is going to have to work hard to move over to the left side, and they're going to have to really, really hope that he can do it. And you guys know that I think that that, that I thought they should, and we'll probably get into this later, but I thought they should have uh, traded for Trent Williams. We come to find out Trent Williams went for a fifth round pick and a third next year. So this is going to be something to watch as we move forward, uh, how this all shakes out. Uh, Ellis, who was your favorite? Yeah, for me, I, it was hard not to go offense. There's a few offensive picks that I'm sure we'll get into later uh, that are intriguing, to say the least. But I'm going to go with Jordan Elliott. Uh, this young man has a real interesting backstory and something we'll dive into as we get to know more about him. Um, committed to a few schools, even went to one school, transfers out, ends up at Mizzou. And then there he battles some weight issues for a little bit and then comes in this year, cuts like 20 pounds, playing at like 305. And when you watch his tape, he really is just a little wrecking ball in there. And I don't mean little as in he, he's not size enough to play the position, but he moves so quickly with his lateral way he can win in space that he really is moving like a smaller defensive tackle, even though he has the frame to play in there. So it's going to be interesting to see this young man grow and what he could be, maybe potentially uh, succeeding a guy like Sheldon Richardson someday and playing at that level. Um, of course, Sheldon Richardson was rookie of the year and a first round pick. You, you don't want to put that type of, uh, responsibility on a young man, but he's got that type of potential. And I really just, I, I've uh, enjoyed watching his tape and getting to know more about this player. So seeing that D line and seeing that's where they decided to address rather than an edge rusher, um, he's versatile. And I think he's got a, a good potential and a high ceiling. So it's going to be fun to watch him grow. 
Yeah, Mary Kay, when, when you look at that pick, that, of course, was the trade down from 74. Uh, they also acquired a pick next year uh, at, at 121. I'm sorry, in the third round next year uh, from the Saints. It, it was a really interesting uh, value pick, I think. That's, that's kind of how a lot of people are grading it. You get a player that was really high on pro football focuses board, and you got a pick next year. So a lot of love for the value in that pick, uh, not just the player itself. Yeah, I really think so. I mean, that was the whole key to that pick, uh, to be able to move down 14 spots and to pick up a third rounder for next year, because that's what you really look for when you're making these trades. You want uh, rounds one, two, and three, because you really, really hope uh, that you can get key contributors through round three. That's exactly what you need to be able to do. Uh, so that was a huge pickup for them for next year. And teams are willing uh, to give up a higher pick in a, in a future draft uh, when they are making that trade this year. So I, th I thought that was a really good, smart analytics-type move for Andrew Barry. And again, the thing that I like about uh, Jordan Elliott, we talked about this the other day a little bit, was the fact that um, he brings that inside pressure. And I think that's vitally important. Uh, you know, you, you, you want the pressure coming from so many different places. And to, to be able to have it coming from the middle when you've got Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon on the outside, to know uh, that you have to worry about what's coming right straight up the gut uh, is, is a very, very key situation. So uh, he, he was active. I think he'll join the rotation. I don't think that he's going to step in day one and be, you know, a first day starter or anything like that. I think he'll join the rotation. Uh, and I think that you can kind of hope that you know, as they go, you know, over a period of time that maybe he becomes some something like a Larry Ogunjobi for you. Okay, so my, uh, my favorite is I'm going to go with the first pick on day three. I'm going to go with Harrison Bryant. Uh, this, this was a big time production pick, a guy that went to FAU, but impressed against Ohio State, uh, really, really kind of, you know, raised some eyebrows at the senior bowl. And at the combine, too, I thought it was interesting. A few of these small school guys, especially the tight ends that went to the senior bowl, really talked about how important that was to go against, you know, the likes of guys wearing Alabama helmets and Ohio State helmets and, and all these guys, these bigger programs. And I think for Harrison Bryant, it certainly helped him as well in this situation. And we know Kevin Stefanski loves tight ends. I had been pounding the table that they were going to take a tight end. So I almost have to choose this guy as my favorite pick. Uh, so, so I'm going to go with Harrison Bryant. I, I think he's, uh, again, good value where they got him. And I think he fills a, a need as well. Yeah, Dan, I want to uh, piggyback off that. Um, a few things. I, I completely agree with that. It's going to be fun to watch how Stefanski finds a way to get this young man on the field. Um, the tight end class this year, as you wrote about, was um, one that was tough to peg where they were going to go. We saw the Packers potentially reach on a guy, uh, the Cincinnati tight end, his name's slipping on me, but uh, he went before Harrison Bryant. And then like you said, at the combine, he doesn't perform the best, but that's not what he's going to be coming and asked to do. He's going to be the type of uh, player who's going to get schemed up and he's going to get open. And like you said, high production, that Ohio State tape is fun to watch. And there's there's a lot of growth there. So you were pounding the table for the tight end. And uh, once the name came up, I was like, all right, Dan's going to like that one. And it just makes a lot of sense with Kevin Stefanski's system, of course. Yeah, you know what? I, I really get the sense that that they love this guy. I get the sense that they felt that he was one of the top tight ends in this entire draft. And I'm not sure where he went. Maybe, Dan, you figured that out, which tight end he was uh, off the board. Do you know? I, I can. You, you go ahead and keep going, and I'll figure it out. 
So I just think that they felt they got really good value uh, with this pick, that they looked up and they saw that one of the best, if not what they felt was the best tight end left on the board when they were picking at uh, number 115, it was. And, uh, yep. and I, I think they're really excited about that. And I don't think that they are worried in the slightest bit about trying to find a way to get these tight ends on the field. We right. know he uses tight ends, two tight ends a lot. We know he uses three tight ends on occasion, Kevin Stefanski. So I think they will use these guys. The important thing to note here is that um, this does not, this is not an indictment against David Njoku. Everybody thinks it is and everybody wants it to be that, but it's really not that. And I firmly believe that this crew, and remember, Andrew Barry was around for the drafting of David Njoku. I think that these guys really believe uh, that there is something to David Njoku and that he can go out there and be a productive tight end for them and that last year was an aberration. He got in Freddie Kitchen's, well, he had the broken forearm, but then he got in Freddie Kitchen's doghouse and he was never coming out. So I think that they really mean it when they say, that he is still an important player on this football team. Yeah, even, you know, Mary Kay, three, four tight ends can work on this team. Kevin Stefanski wants two on the field. He's not afraid to play with three tight ends. Uh, it's a position kind of like D-line. You can roll that two and three tight end. And furthermore, last year with the Vikings, I believe it was Irv Smith Jr., Alabama rookie tight end last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't play a whole lot early in the year. And then, you know, he was scoring – some touchdowns, some big third-down conversions later in the year for Minnesota. So mm -hmm. watch Kevin Stefanski take a similar approach with they did with Irv Smith with Harrison Bryant now getting him involved in the offense later and just seeing how he can grow. It, it's something he's already did last year in Minnesota, and now I think he'll do the same in Cleveland this year. Yep. Sixth tight end off the board, uh, Harrison Bryant. Which one, Dan? Sixth tight end. Six. So for yeah. them, I, I think I think that they, they probably uh, were over the moon. Yeah when he was still there, because I think that they had him rated very highly amongst their tight ends. Yeah. And I think it says a lot about the tight end class this year. I don't, I think it was tough for anyone to really to come to consensus, kind of like the offensive tackles at the top. Uh, you know, you weren't going to draft a tight end in the first round this year, but when it came to finding a consensus order, it really probably depends who you ask. So uh, sort of like safety too. And that's probably something we'll get into, but the Browns feel like their guy fell to them, even though they weren't the first of that position off the board. Mm -hmm. and, and here's the reality with David Njoku. I mean, start catching the ball and start making plays, you're going to get on the field. If you don't, you're going to be watching other guys play, and then you're going to be out the door. So that, that's sort of how the Browns have, have set this up. Uh, all right, let's move on. Our most intriguing pick for the Browns. Ellis, let's have you go first here. Yeah, for me, there's a – This is, it was a fun draft, as you can there's tell. I'm having to from here. Right, right. I'm going to go with Jacob Phillips, LSU linebacker. Um, just as the Browns were making all these PFF-friendly picks, uh, picks that the analytics would line up with, uh, I believe their first three picks are in the top 25, something like that. Uh, all of a sudden, Jacob Phillips comes off the board at number 97. And he's, look, I don't swear by PFF, but he's, if we're staying on that theme, he's like their number 184th player. Um, played with Patrick Queen, who is the linebacker that's drafted in the first round there. And he's a, he's a raw prospect. And in a way he reminds me a little bit of a Mac Wilson. And if that's what you're looking for, I can't say you're wrong. He's long. He's the modern NFL linebacker, a uh, six, three straight line speed. The things you worry about are him in coverage, 
his decision making, the, the, the things that make someone raw when we say they're a project. So just to see him going at 97 there and the fact that I don't think he's a guy who can come in and play right away and I don't think they expect him to, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he, he grows. But it definitely, when that name came across the board, it was a bit of surprise, which then is followed by intrigue. Mm-hmm. Sort of a production pick too. Uh, led the SEC in tackles last year. Uh, yep. You know, had, had a lot of starts under his belt, especially these last two years, but, but started every game in their national championship run. Kind of that, uh, maybe this is sort of goes against that PFF board. Maybe that's why he was so kind of that he's a winner. He made plays sort of thing. Right. You know, so uh, yeah, and a, a very interesting pick. Uh, Mary Kay, what, what did you think of him? And then who was your most intriguing? Well, I think uh, once again, when you, when you're looking at a linebacker that has played in the SEC, SEC played at LSU, it's going to translate pretty well. I mean, it's about, it's, it's the closest thing that you're going to get to playing in the NFL when you're playing in college. So I think when you're looking at, uh, you know, defensive players like that, I think that, you know, it's, it's a good way to try to, to determine if they are going to be effective in the NFL. He was very active. Uh, you know, I, I watched some of his highlights. I mean, he's, you know, he's all over the place and, uh, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I was kind of intrigued by that pick too. Um, my most intriguing pick uh, was number 187, Donovan People Jones, Peoples-Jones. That's the only answer here. Right. <laughs> that's, right. that's really the only, no offense, Ellis, but that's really the only answer. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary Kay. I hear you. Yeah, we, we could have all picked this one. Um, so anyways, obviously, uh, you know, he's an enigma. What we don't really know exactly what he's going to be in the NFL. I tried to ask Andrew Berry, why did he, if he's, you know, so intriguing and, and, you know, so good, why did he drop to the, to the sixth round? Um, I think, you know, the sixth round is probably good value for him. And maybe in another year, because of the depth of this wide receiver class, maybe he would have gone in the fifth round, but it didn't seem like a bunch of people were you know, clamoring for him. The only person that I uh, know of that has him ranked really super high is Urban Meyer, who I saw. Wow. <laughs> I saw him uh, tell uh, a reporter that he should have. He thought he should have been a top fifteen or a top ten pick in the draft. I think that's a bit of a reach, but um, but he again, he's an intriguing prospect, and I think that you know you at least hope that he can come in here and upgrade your return game early on. That's yes. something that I think that. Uh, you can kind of hang your hat on there and then, you know, developmentally see what else you can get out of him. Uh, and it, it's the X factor is because, you know, they just didn't really play in a, in a real prolific passing game and he wasn't really given many opportunities to have great production. So potentially some upside and uh, definitely a returner to start. Yeah, I think where he went and, and sort of how the Browns approach the receiver position tell us a lot of things, right? Where he went kind of tells us he's a very intriguing prospect, but there's still some, some concern out there about what he actually can be in the NFL. Some of that, uh, you know, he, he called it unfair, but one of the knocks coming into this draft was he underachieved at Michigan. Of course, he was highly recruited. You know, you kind of wonder what he might have been able to do at Ohio State and that Urban Meyer and then Ryan Day offense. Um, so, you know, that would have been interesting to see, but they obviously lost out to him. Uh, you know, testing numbers, uh, you're, you're kind of going on, on some of that stuff and kind of the raw skills. But 
That's what you do in the sixth round. You, you gamble on guys like this and see what they can become. And then for the Browns, you know, we talked about Harrison Bryant earlier. I think the way this team is built is really interesting. You're kind of built around, you know, two big time running backs. You paid big money for a tight end. You drafted a tight end. Uh, and and you, then you have the two receivers on the outside, but they haven't really aggressively invested a lot to supplement those receivers. And they waited till the sixth round to go after people's Jones. So I, I think he's really intriguing. This is the kind of guy that you'd love to just sort of see out there, hopefully during training camp and, and then in the preseason and see what he can do as the season goes along. I, he, that, that was my most intriguing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could see him making a name for himself on special teams, not just as a returner, but this is a young man who's going to get an opportunity most likely on those kickoff teams, the punt teams, things like that. Uh, Mike Prefer, special teams coordinator is going to get his hands on this young man and, Someone who is a five-star recruit, goes to a school like Michigan, stays home, and things don't work out despite the hype. I mean, it's not like Michigan's offense is something that people didn't expect to be well. They just didn't reach their expectation. So he came in thinking he'd have these big years. So year after year, a disappointment. And then to be humbly drafted in the sixth round, this young man, I'm sure, is going to be ready to make a name for himself in any way he possibly can. And running down there, making that big tackle on kickoff or pinning someone on punt team, that's the quickest way to do it, and he'll get that opportunity. He, he has that type of athleticism and drive, it seems like, to succeed in that role. And, you know, I would have been – I don't want to say disappointed because I, I'm not – you know, I'm a dog in this race, but I was hoping that they would draft a wide receiver. This is a very rich and deep class, and I just felt like, you know, this is a chance to come away with a receiver that can help you down the road, and you could get them later, that you should be able to get good value – Uh, for one of them. I actually thought that they would do it a little bit sooner than they did. Uh, I was thinking maybe fourth or fifth round because there's where you can still get a really good quality starter. But at least they ended up with one and we'll see where it goes. Okay, I'm I'm gonna skip here to our our next topic. I'm gonna call an audible here because we we went a little long in those first two. Uh, How did Andrew Barry do? Uh, this was his first draft uh, in charge. This was the first time he ran the draft room and, and had final call on these picks. Um, so this is our first chance to kind of really judge how he did. Uh, Mary Kay, how did he do this weekend? Well, you know, I mean, I think it all starts with the first round pick and he got exactly what he wanted. And so therefore, uh, you know, I, I think that you kind of have to give him an A because if you come out of round one with your starting left tackle uh, and, and he just so happened to be the guy that you wanted and you didn't have to go to plan B and you didn't have to go to plan C or plan D. I mean, it could have gone, you know, their top three guys could have been gone and they really would have had to come up with a contingency plan at that point. I believe that they had, three guys ranked where they would have said, we are taking that guy at number 10 if he's there. And if, if that didn't happen that way, who knows how this thing would have gone. Uh, so I think to come away with their Jedrick Wills was great. Again, uh, Dan, your guy, the tight end, I think the fact that they, they got the tight end that they loved in that round, I think that was really good. They added other, a few other pieces. I think, you know, I mean, Grant Delpit, Grant Delpit is kind of uh, – he, he's sort of an exciting pick. I mean, he can come in here. He can change the game, ball hawking safety, a lot of things he can do for you. Um, he's going to have to work on his tackling. I mean, he's just going to have to work on that. He, that is not going to be his forte. So you're going to have to find roles for him. Uh, that's one area where I think that I had told you guys this before. I, I would have liked to have seen a premium pick, at least heading into the draft, 
I was still in premium pick mode at number 41, which to me would be like a pass rusher. And AJ Epeniza was still there at that time. So I will be watching over the next couple of years to see how that shakes out. Yeah. Uh, but, but I do think that, um, you know, that Grant can come in here and probably start for you. And you're just going to have to like scheme around him uh, because, you know, he's going to whiff sometimes when he, when he has to make a tackle. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, if we're doing the whole grading thing, I'm totally fine with the B plus A minus range for Andrew Barry uh, for two reasons. One that was in his control and one that isn't, but that's the name of the game in the draft. First, and he addressed this in his uh, presser yesterday, he safeguarded himself with the way the Browns conducted themselves in free agency. You address that need at tight end, you address that need at tackle, and to make that decision to go out and spend that type of money, top dollar, naturally your needs in the draft become less daunting. So, you know, if the Browns don't have that tight end and don't, and they need a left tackle and a right tackle going into the draft, we're having a very different conversation. So the way he did to steal his words, marry the free agency with the draft, I think lowered the expectations and the urgency in this draft. But then for the draft specifically, what wasn't in his control was how it fell. And we've already talked at length about how Jedrick Wills falls to them at 10, how the tackle run we thought was going to start at four and then just didn't. And then Mary Kay, as you just said, with Grand Delpit, him falling where he did. They even traded back and still got their guy in the second round, a guy who PFF has rated as their number one safety and could very well be the best safety in this class after two, three, four years. So for those two reasons, the way he protected himself in free agency and then just the way the draft shakes out, even someone like Jordan Elliott falling, Early in the draft, those things worked out for him. And Mary Kay, as you said, if you're finding your winners in rounds one, two, and three, I don't think those rounds could have shook out any better for Andrew Barry in his first draft. Well, the the Delpit, uh, the trade down with the Colts uh, from 41 to 44 in the second round also then enabled him to to add exactly. Harris as, as a bonus player in this draft because they probably could have gotten Grant, uh, you know, you know, without – trading or you know they could have picked him at 41 but they they got a bonus out of it and they got the bonus was a guy that will probably be groomed uh to maybe be jc treader's uh, replacement down the road yeah I, I, the only the only arguments i would make uh, about this draft are you know i i don't know that you necessarily needed to take a backup center um yeah you know, nick harris probably has a chance to be a good one and they raved about the scheme fit i don't know if you needed to necessarily pick a center there though um, and then, you know, you trade down from 174 to 188. That's, you know, 14 picks. There's a little bit of risk there. And, and you did pass on a, on a pretty good linebacker that the Saints took. So we'll kind of watch how Jordan Elliott and, and Zach Bond, kind of how their careers sort of develop. We'll see if, uh, if that was the right move there. But neither of those are deal breakers for me. I don't look at those and say, boy, that ruined the draft. You know, this wasn't passing on Deshaun Watson you know, to move down to pick number 25 and, and get a pick next year. There were, there were no trades like that. They got the guys they wanted. And so, you know, that third day, you're kind of just throwing darts. And I, I thought, you know, we already talked about Harrison Bryant. We all talked about Donovan Peoples-Jones. Mary Kay, you and I had him as the most intriguing. Um, you know, Jordan Elliott, LSU had him as your most intriguing. So obviously, you know, you can make arguments for all of these guys. So I, I think it's hard to give this draft anything less than uh, you know, I think B plus would be the bottom end. And, you know, I've seen some people give it an A plus, you know, but definitely it's, it's a B plus or, or an A for sure.
for Andrew Barry in the first draft. Draft weekend is in the books, and if you weren't one of our football insiders, you missed out on a really great weekend. What is football insider? Well, me, Mary Kay, Ellis, Scott, we text you multiple times a day. Sometimes it's breaking news. Sometimes it's instant analysis on the news. And sometimes it's just a take. And we were uh, texting things out to our Football Insider subscribers all weekend long. And we got great feedback from that group. So if you want to get involved in Football Insider, uh, what you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. And there's a box on the right side of the page. Click on that. You get a 14-day free trial to check it out. And then after that, it's $3.99 a month. That's less than four. 14 cents a day. And here's the other thing you get. We have a newsletter that we send out every single morning. It's exclusive only to our insiders. What we put in the newsletter does not show up on the site. Our insiders are the only people that see it. On top of that, you get a chance to interact with us. So we text you, you text us. We, we respond directly to you. It's not on Twitter. It's not on Instagram. It's, it's no place else. It's directly to you via text message. So sign up, get that 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Like I said, click on the box on the right side of the page or better yet, text 216-208-3965. Again, that's 216-208-3965. Okay, before we wrap it up here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let's talk about this first ever, maybe last ever, who knows, but this first ever digital draft. Uh, Our experience, of course, was very different. Uh, We we were all sitting at home, which I kind of enjoyed getting to kind of go in my basement and watch the draft and do everything from there. It it was a little cumbersome dealing with the Zoom calls and whatever, but the Browns PR staff did a great job of getting those set up and and communicating with us. And those went off for the most part without a hitch. Uh, I enjoyed not having to commute home at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning. That was nice. Uh, but the draft in general, as you guys are sitting there watching it, um, what, what's something you'll kind of always remember from this, Mary Kay? Well, one of the funniest things that, that I uh, enjoyed out of the whole like digital thing was, was the Mike Vrabel, uh, you know, the, the teens, everybody thinking that uh, one of the kids was, you know, sitting on, on the <laughs> toilet. I mean, that, that's just, you know, digital gold right there, right? I mean, that, that was just so funny. And there, was, there were a lot of scenes and a lot of sites uh, that were funny and enjoyable. Uh, but, but that was the one. And it's just so Mike Vrabel, right? I mean, we've kind of gotten to know him a little over the years. Uh, and, and that just, just is so him. And, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, every, everybody was talking about Cliff Kingsbury's house. I, I wanted to hang out at Vrabel's house. That's what I wanted to <laughs> right. I would have wanted to spend the draft. It looked like uh, that was the place to be. Also, I mean, what, what are you going to remember from this? You haven't gotten to experience a draft in the Browns media room necessarily, but I mean, just what, when somebody asks you in 20 years, what was that digital draft like? What, what are you going to remember? Yeah, two things. Um, as, as a young man, I, at first I learned – people spend their money how they like. And you brought up Cliff Kingsbury, who is really the talk of the draft, maybe day one. uh, And you see his estate. And then you look at Bill Belichick, who has a dog drafting for him, how he, it was funny how he planned that one up. Um, But it's not like Bill Belichick's money is any smaller. And quite frankly, it's probably much larger than what Cliff Kingsbury has been working with. Um, But you see where they decide to spend their time. Um, So just as a young man trying to find his way, it's interesting. Like, okay, you could have this life, you could have this life. It's, things we, we figure out as we go. Um, secondly, I thought, and this isn't my original thought, you find this from on Twitter somewhere, but someone made a great point 
with Roger Goodell all buttoned up and looking great on day one of the draft, you know, having to give those formal types of speech and bring everyone in together and rally up, you know, the draft is hopeful and all these things. And then by day two and a half, three, he's slouched in the couch, just kind of reading the picks off his note card. That It felt like a real representation of what we're all going through. And for me, that's what I'll remember most is this draft will always be tied to the experience we're going through as a nation and how everyone can relate. People didn't just tune in because to see who their favorite player, where their favorite player was going to go or what their favorite team was going to draft. They tuned in because this was a, a, a nation event and we can all relate to having to work in your basement and have to conduct a draft in everyone's basements. Um, so for me, that's how, what I'll remember, just how this relates to our, our nation as a whole. And I found that pretty exciting. Yeah, the, the, the Belichick thing was cool because it's sort of, you know, sometimes we get these safe team produced moments where we get to see these senses of humor. I remember the John Dorsey, Chris Ballard thing and, you know, teams put these things out, but like, you know, Belichick kind of shows a sense of humor there, right? I'm not going to get caught on camera. I'm going to walk away. Every time that camera comes, I'm not going to be there. My dog's going to be sitting in the chair. You know, moments like that. And then today, you know, speaking of team produced, but the Ravens, I don't know if you guys saw this, they tweeted out, I guess John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta live next to each other, which relatively speaking, it's not like, you know, how I live next to my neighbors. You know, Eric DaCosta had to hike like a mile to get to John Harbaugh's house, but he walked out of his back door. Of course, there was a lacrosse net being in, uh, in Maryland. Uh, walked out the back door and over to the fence where John Harbaugh was meeting him. And they stood, you know, they stood apart from each other. And John Harbaugh tossed him a Gatorade and they talked about the draft. And it was just sort of a really, you know, one of those moments you, you don't get that. You don't, you don't always get to see that stuff. And it was great for the Ravens to kind of capture that. However, they did that on video um, and tweet that out. Check out that, that Ravens Twitter account for that. And those, those are two of my favorite people anyway in the NFL. I, I love Harbaugh's conference calls with us when, when the Browns play the Ravens and DeCosta's always must listen at the combine. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that was kind of a cool, even though it wasn't part of the broadcast, it was the day after that was kind of a cool moment to see. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to um, mention that I, um, I was just, I found it so funny throughout the whole thing that all these coaches uh, the takeaway was like, they were spending time with their kids. Like, Oh, who are the, who are all these kids running around here? Are these ours? You know, it's like, they got to see what, uh, you know, what their wives do all the time when they're at work and they're never home. And it was just so funny to see, uh, all the NFL kids. At one point I, I said, I wanted the Vrabel, uh, teens to perform a TikTok dance that, that, uh, these guys needed to, uh, step up their game a little bit, but uh, it was it was so funny, you know, just to see them interacting with their children. And a lot of them afterwards said that that was one of their favorite things about this draft was that they got to spend some of it uh, with their families. And I think that going forward now in every draft, we are going to be in people's living rooms and we are going to be in people's basements because everybody loved it. Alice, you, you were going to say something there. I'll give I'll give you the last word here. Yeah, well, actually, really quickly, I just wanted to throw this to you guys. Uh, for how much crap the NFL has gotten over the years for how they handle just PR and their decision-making, uh, this is just a win for the league, right? They made the right decision going forward with the draft. Yes, I, I think so. And, you know, the, the big theme was uh, that it gave people something to watch, something to do. I mean, I think we are a nation that is, you know, starting to slowly uh, get back into real life and reopen things. And I think that uh, that the NFL and Roger Goodell kind of wanted to uh, be a part of that process. And I, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, 
look, let's not kid ourselves. The NFL also knew they'd have a captive audience all weekend. They, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Good point. They, they pulled it off and, and they did it. You know, they didn't push it. They, they just, they kept everything safe. They didn't break rules. They didn't, you know, they, the NFL did a great job. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they, they gave everyone something to watch. And now everybody, we're recording this on Sunday. So when, when you hear this, this will be dated. But everybody gets to watch the last dance now tonight. And it might feel like a, like a little bit of a normal weekend. Okay, so that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We start our post-draft podcast here soon. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Somehow we always find something with the Browns and the NFL, though. So we will figure it out. And we will continue on this every single weekday schedule. Uh, again, if you missed it, we had that bonus pod on Saturday, went through rounds two and three. We went deep on round one. There were five of us on that one. Doug Maurice joined us uh, for that one as well. So we went deep on round one. That was Friday morning. So check those feeds. If you're not subscribed, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, leave us a rating. Give us a nice review. And make sure you subscribe to uh, Football Insider because I know a lot of our Football Insiders enjoyed this weekend from us. So for Ellis and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.